Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and we're excited to release this podcast with our friend and home assassin captain, Jim Farrier. Jim is one of the most fun people you will ever be around. He's an old timer when it comes to fly fishing for tarpon, and Jim is an incredible artist. He paints, he sketches, he builds just these incredible pieces of art. In fact, when I was a kid, I remember my family getting Christmas cards from him where he would hand draw tarpon, bonefish, permit. And I just remember being amazed at his skill. And so I went ahead and put up a few pictures of some of his art on our website at captainscollective.com. So you can check out the post there. And in this episode, we talk about fly tying, the need for patience, how to deal with clients who need help casting and can't cast well. And we have a lot of fun bobbing in and out of other various topics. Captain Jimmy Long from Homosassa Outfitters also hops on this podcast since we recorded it at a place that he regularly frequents called the Poon Bar. And Jimmy and Jim have been longtime friends fishing and guiding together. We really appreciate all the support you guys have been giving us. Please continue to send us feedback. Feel free to shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram or email if you have any ideas on how we can continue to grow the podcast. I hope that you guys enjoy. This is the Captain's Collective. Success is a gift. Excellence is the only thing to strive for. He tried to eat it. He tried to eat it. Hit him, hit him, hit him. You got him. He's on. Uh, two butt caps off the rods, filled them with tequila. We took a shot and out we went. There, there ain't no getting into it after that. It's, you're, you're hooked. It's a bad habit. And all the time flips, the, he's standing there ready to go for a tarpon. Anytime he says, you talk so much, you're like a senator. Thanks for being on the podcast and hanging out with us. Could you just tell us first, just to start, how you got into fishing and where that began for you? Fishing, period? Just in general. Whoa. I probably caught my first tarpon when I was five or six down in Boca Grande. Back in 1920? Or earlier. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've, uh, I mean, we've always tarpon fish. I used to go to Boca Grande as a, you know, as a toddler back when you had to go over on the ferry. Uh, and the only boats really fishing the past were, you know, the old Daniel's guide boat, you know, and so we'd go down there for three or four weeks every summer and spend the time on the beach. We'd go trout fishing or we'd get a guide and go tarpon fishing. And then my, my dad learned to pass as good as any of the guides back when you had to go by <clears throat> landmarkers. There was no depth finders or anything like that. You knew where the, you were lined up north and south by the range markers and you knew when you were coming to the inside ledge and when you were coming to the outside ledge. And it was all done by watching marks, which is actually more accurate than nowadays with a depth finder because with a depth finder, you see the ledge pop up and you tell somebody drop it. Well, back then you could watch it coming and by the, and, and you could just a split second before you could go drop it and it would go right over the edge and that's where you would get bit. So anyway, so I've been fishing down there for Would, would you forever. go down there with your family? Is that is that who you go that down was, with your yes. dad or? Yeah, all, you know, we'd spend all summers down there, you know, growing up all the way through high school, college, and I just got back from there taking dad fishing. So he's 93. 93, still and catching. still fishing, yep. Yep. And that's incredible. And then you had worked for the FWC. Is that what, what, when you graduated high school, did you go straight into nope, the Fishing Wildlife Commission? Uh, I went to University of Florida, uh, graduated there, sold advertising for about a year. Uh, the public information officer position opened up in the Lakeland office, so I applied for that. And that was in 77, I got the job started working for FW, well, GFC back then, FWC now, and spent 13 years there. Moved up here uh, to go into a private pr uh, business. Uh, did that for 21, 22 years, and six years ago I started guiding. I left that and started guiding. 
and really from five years old till today you've been fishing been fishing and tarpon fishing and whatever so and how did you and we got um jimmy on here too but how did you two meet how did what how did you two meet you and jimmy oh just through guys you know we knew each other prior to six years ago but once you know he really got he got me in the guides association and uh so we've become pretty close we're hunting buddies now and stuff uh since you know really then but we knew each other before you know we took some friends from alabama uh fishing i don't know what 20 years ago yeah at least 20 22 years ago Uh, we've known each other for a long time and we also did some other things with cca you know um banquets and stuff like that you know we've known each other for probably at least 25 years it's just that in the last six years since he started guiding i'm seeing him more and more and more and uh he he now he's here in the poon bar doing this that's right now we're (laughs) now we're down here doing this and he uh you know jim's a phenomenal and we'll get into that but uh he's a phenomenal fly tire fly fisherman i think he's been fly fishing here for tarpon longer I know longer than I have, but longer than just about anybody that's still alive. Um, it's probably close to 40 years, isn't it? Pretty close. You yeah. know. Started somewhere around 78, 79. That wasn't, you know, I wasn't full-time fishing here. You were uh, fun fishing. You were fishing was, with your buddies Phil and, yeah, yeah. and all Phil that. Phil and I, he was a biologist with the game FWC, and, and, you know, we'd come up here when we had time off from work and tarpon fish and he's the one that got me started fly fishing and this is in the late 1970s that was in 77 is when he got me started fly fishing now how how popular was fly fishing for tarpon in the 1970s uh probably more in the early mid 80s is that's when you could be on the sand the most boats i ever counted was 63 Poland skiffs, looking for tarpon. All the, you know, all the big name guys, Billy Pay, everybody, Jimmy's buddy, uh, Dan Malzone, Alda Parrot, all of them. Well, a lot of the boats the, the out of that, and I, I was guiding also at the time that the 62, 63 boats a day you would see um, came after the videos, you know, that Billy Pate did for you know in, what was it, in search of giant tarpon yeah. or quest of giant tarpon um he came up here but it was not as many people f- fly fishing for the tarpon in the late 70s as right was in the early to mid 80s because that's when the word started getting spread and that's when some of the keys guides were coming up here and there was actually very uh, only one or two local boys guiding for tarpon back then yeah um all i mean the Billy Pate, uh, Tom Evans, they all brought their guides with them from the Keys. And it's its just, uh, it's snowballed. It's become such a popular, you know, saltwater fly fishing has done nothing, but over the last 20 years has gotten more and more popular. Yep. You can tell that by the price of the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're saying, so back in the late 70s, early to mid 80s, you'd be out there, you'd see 63 boats. But now if you had to guess... I mean, what's a? I don't what's know. A what's busy a busy day? day? If well, you see fifteen, you wouldn't see, you wouldn't see the sixty-three boats in the late seventies. Right. Yeah. No, that didn't start mid eighties. Yeah. Well, not even. I think it was even a little bit later than that. I would say the early to mid nineties is when, you know, because mm-hmm. I start. Well, I started tarpon guiding in ninety-four, and that's when I remember it. Now yeah. I don't know what was there, but there, ahead yeah, of me, there was prior to me. Yeah. There but was. nowadays, if you see, fortunately. Right now, I think a busy day on the flat here, and it's really considered overcrowded, would be 35 <laughs> boats. But that's... That's a busy weekend. But that's a busy that's you know, a holiday busy weekend. weekend or something. Yeah. Generally, there's... 13 to yeah. 17 of your of your full-time tarpon guides. Yeah. And that's that can get crowded if the fish aren't scattered. If they start bunching up, that's, that's crowded. Yeah. And how did you get into fly fishing for tarpon? Well, when I worked for the Game and Fish Commission, every, that's all the fisheries biologists fly fished. And one of my good friends, Phil Chapman, got me started. And, once, you know, I think probably the first fish I caught on a fly was a nice snook, snatched it out from under a dock. And once you do that, 
it's all over. And then once you know, once you once you hook put a tarpon in the air on a fly, or just see him eat, you, there, there ain't no getting into it after that. It's you're you're hooked. It's a bad habit. We're, it's an expensive habit. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It's a bad habit. <laughs> and obviously, like you know, Jimmy was saying, it's it's snowballed a lot. But back then, I mean, there probably wasn't as nearly as much gear. Or were you having to kind of get by with some minimal gear? I mean, what's well, what was that was, time Well, I like? mean, you had glass rods for the most part. Some, you know, it was just starting to, you know, get in. I've got some old Fenwick, you know, early graphite rods. I've got a got an old Fennor reel right over there that's, you know, what it's smaller than perhaps what you'd fish, you know, as far as arbor size for redfish or anything else and that's kind of what you what you had back then and and you were telling a story at lunch today that was a really good story about fighting a fish for a real long time and you had 16 pound tests you said they didn't even have 20 pound tests no, that was prior to the actually having a line class a 20 line class so yeah that was i was fishing with bill greer he was another uh gfc guy uh and he had brought his uh, shop hook down from Tallahassee, and I met him at Bayport, and we went out of Bayport, came out fishing. He fished all morning. I pulled him. Uh, we didn't didn't have saw a bunch of fish. Didn't have much luck. Sat down and ate, and, and at one, <clears throat> he said, "Well, you get up. It's your turn." I go, "Thanks. It's already been all morning, <laughs> anyway." So I got up, and here comes a big string. I mean, just a long, probably 100 fish strung out one after another. And I put it in front of the first fish, the 10th fish, the 20th fish. As they're all going by, none of them would eat. They'd all got past us, and I threw a long cast just to the side of the school, stripping it right at them. And the big one turned out and ate it, and that was 10 hours. Ten hours. Ten hours. And you said you had boat trouble on top of that? We had boat trouble, uh, which was part of the problem. There was a leak in the gas line on, on Bill's boat. And so, you know, you'd have to pump the boat, crank it up, chase the fish a little bit, get some line back, and bloom. But once it calmed down in the evening, uh, we, uh, you know, the fish just pulled the boat, pulled us everywhere. Probably pulled us, well, they pulled us from Pine Island to the Chaz River, back to Pine Island, back to the Chaz River during that time just towing he just towed the boat and nothing else i couldn't do anything with him you know we got him up but wasn't going to stick a kill gaff in him wanted to lip gaff him and tape him out and you know see what he was i was pretty sure he was over 100 caught enough seen enough in the ice house in boca grand <clears throat> you know down when almost every fish that was caught was killed uh, so i had a pretty good handle on what the weight was and i was pretty sure this fish was over two but we wanted to tape it and get the tail under the bow of the boat. Bill had run up with the lift gaff. I'd run to the back of the boat to try to get him back. And the fish had scoot off 20 feet, stay there for a while, work at him again. Finally just broke off right there at the boat. I turned around, sat down, and go, <laughs> that's why they call it fishing. <laughs> so Did you after say it 10 that hours, calmly? Yeah, I actually what did. did. I actually said it, uh, said it pretty calmly. Well, I think That's after it. 10 hours of tugging on a fish, you probably don't have much energy to <laughs> yeah. get upset about. Just paddle just, at that point out of gas. Well, we were out of gas. The, uh, the GFC that daylight had sent up a plane looking for us. They knew where I was. And uh, uh, we'd got, we were getting towed in at that time by a guy who'd been grouper fishing all night. So he towed us in. So anyway. Man, that's, that, that's an incredible story just – hearing about the chaos of <laughs> the motor breaking it was one of the it was, it was one of those fish that couldn't jump even from the get-go he at the first two jumps maybe he got three quarters she got three quarters of her body out of the water but never cleared and from then on out it was mostly just head shaking so. and you get back to the boat ramp is fwc there no, they they called me. And, well, they didn't back then. We didn't have cell phones. I drove home and got an ass chewing from my boss. That was back <laughs> when they just put your face on a milk carton. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> back then, for fishermen, it probably was a beer can, but anyway. beer can or up at some bar somewhere, just a sketch. 
just a sketch, a hand done sketch. And, <laughs> and so you, you know, you, you start to get into fly fishing and I've heard and, and seen that you've tie incredible flies and I know that you also do art and you can, you have the ability to draw. Do you paint or do you just, it's watercolor, watercolor mostly now. Yeah. And how did you end up kind of getting full into tying and the artistry of it? All? Well, from the beginning, back when I started, when I started fly fishing in 77, 78, uh, you know, I just said, well, it's, I mean, you got to tie flies, you got to have them. And, you know, back then it was almost all feathers and, you know, you know, deceiver type patterns, whatever, you know, streamers, but it was almost all done with all natural stuff. And I look at it this way. You got to be able to cast, of course, and something that's obviously never really talked about much because some people just think it's a matter of presenting a fly and the fish will eat it or he won't. But it's a lot a matter <clears throat> of knowing how to feed a fish. Just knowing how, feeling your fly line, knowing whether you're pulling it, whether you're coming up on it, and i.e. drifting with the wind or the tide or whatever. And it's just a it's just a feel that you have. But the third thing, the way I look at it, for me anyway, is and now that I'm guiding, I want I get more satisfaction out of hooking any kind of fish, but especially a tarpon, on a fly that I tied. Or handing a fly to a customer and having him catch a, a tarpon on a fly that I tied and it's you know it's it's happened a bunch and not always but I've had people use their own flies and not do anything and put on one of mine and get it I'm not saying any that that necessarily means anything it might have just been in front of a hungry fish but I just get as, as making the cast knowing how to feed one but feeding the fish your fly is to me, that's a critical part of fly fishing. That's that's what makes it fly fishing to me. Do you use a lot of old time patterns that you first started with, old <laughs> hipster ponytail hair and <laughs> all that type of stuff? I, no, I've uh, you know I use a you know I mean tying all the traditional uh, you know tarp and fly patterns, but a lot of it's now done with synthetics, you know. Yeah, we went from, you know, the all, you didn't throw nothing but feathers, you know, to nowadays you're seeing a lot of EP flies. You're seeing a lot of the synthetics. I mean, you know, you look at the toad. Um, yeah, that's rabbit fur, but it's got a synthetic head. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. And it's, I've actually been thinking about, and, and Jim ties a lot of flies for me because I don't, I don't tie flies much anymore is going back to some of the old traditional flies that we used to use yeah. 20, 25 years ago. And you, you saw that the last couple of years, that termite that everybody's throwing. That's just splayed grizzly hackle. But it's a miniature cockroach. Yeah, it's a, just a miniature cockroach. And, uh, uh, but, you know, that's been a real effective fly. And now it's got a synthetic head, but, you know, traditionally that might have been squirrel tail or... Uh, Maybe some people tied it with bucktail, but just some natural hair that made the, the collar or the head, shoulder, whatever. Uh, but now, you know, you're using a lot of these, uh, you know, brush, these EP brushes and stuff. It's just an easy way to make a head. Are you still staying with the natural materials? Is that what you probably oh, I get, you know, I You know, flies like that are, you know, mostly natural. But I tie a lot of the, you know, Pugliese uh, bait fish patterns, black and purple. Uh, and, you know, then toads, and that's got, you know, usually rabbit fur or stuff. But I've got a little foamy tail thing that I tie up like a toad uh, that, uh, you know, I found works real good. I've even miniaturized them down to permit bonefish size, and it works real good on those too. But... And as a late season, as the season progresses, and you get later in the season, you're trying something different, hope, hoping to have something that, you know, they haven't seen yet. You know, which is rare because 
there are no new patterns, really. It's just yeah. a variation of an old pattern tied with new materials. Yeah, there's a guide, a local guy here that he guides, and he's got this fly that he did real good one year on, and he goes, I'm going to patent this fly. And I looked at it, and I go, I've been tying that fly for 20 years. So is everybody else. And good <laughs> so. luck patenting it. <laughs> well, it's, what it is is it's his variation of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't think you can patent a fly. I, like I told him, you know, when he said that, I said, the best thing to do is for you to tie a dozen or so and give them out to your friends because that's about all you're going to notoriety <laughs> you're going to get out of it. The um, thank you. That's all the thank yous. You know, it's, and it's nothing you. wrong. No, you know, there's nothing wrong with having that. But, um, you know, Jim's version of the Puglisi baitfish pattern um, is a little thicker. Um, actually, in my opinion, and I use a lot of his flies, is um, probably, in my in my opinion, it's a better fly. But then again, it's tied at Jim's house. It's not tied overseas somewhere, you know. Yeah, but and you know, but, but most of those bait fish are real. They're real flat. Like if you look at them from the bottom or top, it's you know yeah, they they're, they're not wide. But mine I tie real wide. So if you're looking at it from the bottom, you have a you know, a mud minnow, or you've it's got, got, a, you've got a, a bigger silhouette from underneath, which is where the fish is going to see it. So, I mean, that's really it's more the mullet only... than pilchard. Yeah, or a mullet, you know, except it's black and purple. Well, uh, the dark colors. That's two colors. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, you could go purple and black. Yeah. Well, I've the... heard you say that, yeah. <laughs> or black or, or purple. purple. Yeah. The four um, colors. The dark colors create a better silhouette than light colors. And... Early in the day before the sun gets high, you want dark colors. You know, bright day, bright fly, dark day, dark fly. And but that being said, it's not written for, in stone. For, for I always, when I used to fish with Ted Johnson, just him and I going out of here, you know, at daylight before we had to be to work, uh, I don't know that I ever fished anything other than a bright orange. This is at daylight. I mean, sometimes you know, still a half an hour before the sun came up, uh, was either bright orange or chartreuse. And that's what everybody fished for the most part. And Phil Chapman said, have you heard anything? Have you used these black and those black and purple Puglisi bait fish patterns? And I go, no, he goes, you need to try one. So I tied some up and I don't think I've used anything but black and purple since. <laughs> and, but I always used to fish, you know, sunrise orange so times change and those flies probably still work i just don't fish them anymore and don't know too many people that do at daylight so. but you have confidence throwing yeah. them too which yep. is nice you know yep. absolutely you hate to throw a fly that you don't believe in in front of something and then if you don't have if, confidence in it you may yeah, as well yeah. not throw it yeah exactly because number exactly. one if you don't have confidence in it you're not going to fish it right anyway because no. you're not yep. going to believe in it so yep. if you don't believe in that fly don't throw it I think that's another thing that adds into throwing our own flies that we've tied is we know what's went into them and we've sort of crafted them for the type of fish we're targeting. Right. Exactly. So I, think, I think that helps with the, um, the attitude of just wanting to throw your own fly. I think that's a big, a big reason why, because if it fails, it's on you. It's yeah. not on somebody else. Yeah. But like Jimmy was saying, you got confidence in the fly. Exactly. So if you fish it with confidence, chances are you're going to have more success. And it seems like that's a, one of the, the draws to the whole thing is it's kind of like archery hunting. You know, it's just there's something primitive about the idea of, hey, I tied this fly and I made this modification. And, I, you know, there's mm -hmm. just some sort of primitive aspect to it that's fun because – you know. Well, that's as that's as primitive of equipment as you're for fishing as you're going to find a fly, fly rod and reel. I mean, you, I mean, it isn't primitive anymore. I mean, it's all high tech material. I mean, so, the rods, the reels, but it's still the most direct way to a fish. If you if you know what I mean, I mean, you know, you can you can throw a big, you know four aught pin or or whatever or a big spinning reel of five thousand spinning reel but it's it's just like you said it's more like shooting a bow at a deer you know getting 
fooling it's, that yeah, fish on, the, a, on, a, on something that doesn't weigh a quarter of an ounce, you know. It's and, just, and that's one of the huge arguments, too, from the guys that say, um, say they only tie um, natural hair and natural fur instead of synthetic is they like the aspect of using a piece of another animal yeah. to trick another animal into yeah. like yep. into being able to catch that and that's the they they like the primitiveness of it um, which i understand that. yeah but there's not a there's i don't know that there's a whole lot of people nowadays that actually are strictly natural you know hair and stuff maybe that maybe there are but there's some synthetics involved in almost all flies now yeah yeah, that's few and far between, but there's yeah. something about the artistry of it too. And we're sitting here in in your kind of renovated lower area of your house. The poon you bar. call it the, the poon, poon bar. It's the poon and bar. And it's it's a really cool place. And we'll include some notes, uh, some photos in the show notes. Uh, but you know, there's art that you've personally done all across. There's a, a beautiful light fixture above your pool table. It's got a tarpon drilled into an old feeding trough, and um, some paintings and and drawings. And there's also some fun kind of artistry to it, too. Yeah. You know, there's something that is enjoyable about the actual act of tying the fly. Yeah. You know, you're hanging out and yeah. you're, you know. You're trying to make that last head not as small as you can make it so it finishes nice. You know, there's big old gloopy knot it's a little arts. It's a little arts and crafts time, you know. Yeah. If you don't get too careful, it'd be a slippery slope. You'll start yeah. putting those little jewels, those little fake diamonds on some denim jackets. and <laughs> The arts and crafts could get out of control. Man crafts. Man crafts. Time flies well, is man crafts. Well, let me tell you, if, if nothing else, it's occupational therapy. I mean, you know, it can be raining. What are you going to do? You can only nap so long if you're even going to nap. So you can go up and, and uh, you know, and, you know, knock out two or three flies. Although some of the flies I tied take about an hour and stuff. They're very lengthy, but... Uh, uh, you know, it's it's still just a fun way to kind of relax, you know, and, and get your you, mind off If you off could only things. fish one, what would it be if you could only fish one pattern? We know the color. <laughs> we know the color. <laughs> What's the pattern? What time of day am I fishing for the rest of my life? What time do you want to fish? <laughs> Daylight black Daylight. and purple. Yeah. <laughs> Either a black and purple toad or a black and purple gleasy. So Jimmy's shaking his head. Yeah. <laughs> But well, it's like I told Mike that time you got your choice. You can have black and purple or purple and black. Yep. It's it's um, and but that's, going back to the colors, I remember the days when the old junkyard dog, you mm -hmm. know, sunrise orange and uh, or chartreuse. Yeah. And uh, one year, Billy Pate come down here and you open his fly box because he was a very sharing person. He would help you. He would show you what he was doing. He opened his fly box, and he's got two dozen chartreuse flies in it. That's all he threw all day long. He didn't change flies, you know, much. Now, I didn't say – I'm not saying he never did, but that particular point in time when I seen it, that's what all he was throwing. Um, but he had confidence in it. I remember when you and I were throwing chartreuse. Yeah. You know, I uh, – one, one particular story that I thought about a minute ago was I'd had a good morning with a client. We jumped two on chartreuse. So I'm telling a couple of my buddies, and I called Jim. I said, Jim, I said, you need to try chartreuse. He said, I've been throwing it for about a month, you know. <laughs> so he, he was having luck, too. Is there a certain, when it comes down to some of the details of the gear you use, what, what type of hooks do you like to use? What type of vice do you some have? People are, some people are real peculiar about uh, the, the hooks that they like. Like if I'm tying flies for him, he'll give me the kind of hooks he wants. I don't care. As long as it's a good sturdy hook and sharp, and I've found that you know, you know, and like tie tying that little termite fly, which is sometimes tied depending on the the hook, because you know one manufacturer is like, what is it that Timco that you like? Like their number one is about like the size of a number five, mm. you know, a five aught. Their number one, so that's a real wide gap hook, but you know. Like for the termite, I want a real short hook, a short shank hook. I don't want a, you know, a hook that's, you know, got an inch long shank. I want, you know, a hook that's got past the point, three-eighths of an inch maybe at the most. 
and it allows you to move those feathers further up on the hook and hide the hook. I don't know. I just like the short shank. But, I mean, when I started, everybody was using 5 aught stainless steel must add 34007. That's all anybody fished. And then you spend a half an hour on the bench sharpening each one. <laughs> so, cause, yeah, you, know, you used to have to sharpen all your hooks. Yeah. 3407 SS. Yeah. And uh, you remember we used to use the mustads, those yeah. two watt mustads, a bronze hook. Yeah. It's a great hook, but you throw it one day, you better oil it that night or it'll be rusty <laughs> the next morning. Yeah. But it was a good hook. Yeah. So every, you know, yeah, I don't, you're not I don't, particular. I'm not, no, I'm I've not. I've been in the shop picky. with Jimmy before. He likes to, you know, he likes real hooks. detailed, yeah. and likes certain, certain hooks. And, um, you know, that's, that's, is there, when it comes to tying gear, I mean, you've been tying flies a long time and, and, uh, I've heard from multiple people how great and how respected your flies are in particular. Um, I mean, how much time do you spend tying flies? How did, how did you develop into such a good fly tire? Just, I guess it's the artist. I mean, you can look in here at some of the things I've drawn and stuff, and I guess it's just maybe an attention to detail and patience. You know, I'm just some of it's trying to figure out a better way to do things. Like I have a technique for making, you know, you could spend 30 minutes trying to pick four feathers off a neck to find some that are splayed where when they put them on the hook, they're splayed opposite. Well, there's an easy solution to that. I pop off four feathers only making sure they're the same size and you can roll that feather on the shank of a hook and they'll come out perfect you just roll one with the inside of the feather or two with the inside of the feather back two with the inside of the feather forward and when you get them out you get a little half circle you know they're all they're all splayed equally they're even these two turn out this way these two turn out this way and you don't get some that go like this and like this. You get a cockeyed splay. But it's a simple thing, and not many people know how to do it. I don't even know how I found out about it. I know if you take your finger over a ribbon, you know, for wrapping a present, go like that over a scissor blade, well, that thing goes whoop, whoop, whoop. So if you take that feather over a hook and bend it around that thing, it'll splay perfect. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> yeah, whoop, whoop, whoop. Some sound effects. Well, so, but anyway, I just, uh, you know, it's just that artistic, you know, I just enjoy doing, just like I, you know, my watercolors and stuff. Yeah. You know, I enjoy. You uh, take pride in it, and you take yeah. the time with it, yeah. and and I that, that totally connects and makes yeah. sense to me. I mean, back in the old days, I, you know, guys would take a, a vice out in the boat, and, you know, they'd, just tie a quick fly it wouldn't last long you know you might get one fish out of it and you know or even not even more, you know one jump and they pull it back in there nothing left but they would tie flies on the boat so whatever works I, I think jim's reputation as a fly tire goes in hand with his reputation as an artist and it you would have to see his artwork you would have to see his christmas cards you would have to see his the poon bar here and stuff the way He's just got a natural talent of artistry, and that shows in his fly tying. Um, he spends way more time on a fly than I would. Um, but, you know, I can't – I'm not complaining because he gets me flies <laughs> and they work. So, But um, – and I'm always picking at him about being slower than Grandma because he, he takes his time. So. Now, you're, you're not too picky on your hooks, but I know you're pretty picky on your leaders and your knots. And and uh, I've heard y'all two have some discussions. Y'all get pretty fired hey, if up it for works, guys like talking. Jimmy says, if it works, it works. But, you know, everybody's got their, you know, I don't even know the name of half the knots I tie. You know, I mean, like Chip was telling me earlier, well, it's a no-slip knot. You know, and, well, yeah, okay, that's how I tie it, except the no-slip knot goes around the – your leader about five times and back through mine goes through a half time and it holds it just as well. So the only, the only bad knots the one that breaks and yep. if it holds, it's a good knot. And we do go back and forth because I'm a traditional Bimini twist, Huffnagel guy. Um, and even doing that, I've modified it a little bit. He's a slim beauty, well, you know, and it's a not good always, knot. Not well, always. Sometimes. Most of your tarpon flies are slim boots. This year. Yeah. Only this year. And then so. you're looking at uh, the different knots. I mean, I think I, on my podcast when we did it here back in August, I was telling you that uh, Cecil Keith 
you know, an icon in the Keys and there in, in Isla Mirada, he did not tie a tarpon fly unless it was looped. All right, Nat Raglan, my mentor, and he's an icon for a marathon, he only snailed, you know, his tarpon flies. And both of them have caught more tarpon than Jim and I will probably ever see, or at least hook. I imagine we probably might have seen some that many, but, you know, who's to question them? Neither one of them was wrong. So. And I snailed hooks for a while, but it just got to be more of a pain in the rear and, and to me, no more effective than tying a loop knot. Is, is there other areas where your artist side comes out in the fishing other than just tying flies? I mean, do you find yourself kind of having that influence other aspects? In, in terms of fishing? Yeah, with being a captain, I mean, obviously you walk into the place that we're recording right now, you look around and you go, okay, there's some, there's some thought and intentionality and some artistry that goes into this. Tying flies, that's easy to see. Is there any other what? places? I mean, that patience, or do you do you do a lot of photography or anything like that? No, not not as much as I probably well, not as much as I used to when I worked for the GFC. But uh, no, I mean, I do. I mean, I do other things. I've got a leader stretcher that uh, uh, you know I tie up. That's uh, you know it's got a teak tarpon on it. It's, the frame is plexiglass, but there's a, a teak carved tarpon in the leader stretcher so yeah we got some christmas cards here too i'll take some <laughs> photos of these and put them on there where did that tradition come from uh God, i started with pencil and pen and ink back eons ago i don't even remember there's one there's i know most people save them because i do sign a number each one but uh there's uh the people I deer hunt with and the Rutlands in Alabama, uh, they have every Christmas card I've ever done in the hunting cabin. It's almost taken up one whole wall of their, their place. So I've probably been doing it 30 years or, or more. So that's just, you know, just my way of, you know, giving somebody something special for Christmas. Can't buy them all presents. <laughs> so... <laughs> I know my dad has some of those original kind of. He's got some of the early pen, and then he was just giving me grief for getting them off the list. So we're trying to hold on to him. If he'll remember to leave me his address, I'll put him back on the Christmas. He's a little bit. He's a little bit of a nomad. He's kind of on the run. He might be hard to find. You might have to do an email newsletter. (laughs) I think he's sleeping over there. If I'm not mistaken, a Pinterest board or an Instagram (laughs) account so he can keep up with it, but. Um, it is, it is fun just to talk about all the different aspects of fishing when, when just to transition a little bit into guiding, um, what's your favorite part of, you've been doing guiding for about six years now. The worst part is that you're never on the pointy end of the boat. That's the worst part. The best part is I get as much satisfaction nowadays as seeing people hook fish as I do when I hook fish. Maybe not quite as much, but, you know, that's a big, that's a big part. That's the most important. And it doesn't matter whether we're trout fishing or red fishing, you know, you know, or tarpon fishing. Just having somebody else catch a fish is pretty cool. And getting to watch that and the, watch their face light up and, you know, the smiles and, you know, the laughs they have or when the fish throws the hook, the, the language sometimes it comes out. Well, let's go get another one. <laughs> Whatever. I'm thinking so. the language that comes out after 10 hours ten of fighting hours and then they break off. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't as bad as I would have thought it was. I was, I just sat down and said, well, well why they call it It sounded fishing. like you were basically I, on the fish. Oh, yeah. Like we had, we could have killed Gaff for the, probably the last four or five hours. But anyway, just did, didn't want to do that. And I hear a lot of guides say that, and it kind of, to bring it back circle, full circle back when you're five years old and you're down in Boca and you guys are doing the old school, drop it over the yeah. ledge. And, you know, just the thrill of being a kid and catching a fish and 
you know, many of us were blessed to have fathers who would take us fishing. And, mm -hmm. you know, when your, your dad would take you fishing, you know, depending on how hardcore they are, you're probably not on the polling platform at <laughs> seven years old. No, like, they didn't have you know, They pulled from standing. either the top of the motor or the yeah. bow back then. So. <laughs> they had motors back then. They did have motors. They yes, have well, motors. Not that old. That was back <laughs> when they were using bass boats. And, <laughs> but, you know, but when, when you're a kid and, and your dad would take you out and he just he just want to put put you on a fish and then you fish a bunch and i've heard a lot of guides talk about one of the things they love is that when they're out there with somebody and they're catching a fish you know it might be another day and not not saying that every day is another day on the water but for a guide but it might be that person's best day of the year yeah. it could be the best day of their life sure especially when it comes to tarpon i mean you know there's there's people that have fished here years and not done well on tarpon at all and i think that a lot of times comes comes to the to the feeding aspect and and just feeling your fly and everything and actually knowing how to get something to chew on it and some people are you know my my cousin uh you know he fished up here for years without ever even hooking a tarpon i think i might have he came up one time this was after i moved here and finally hooked one but his son if he throws into a school of tarpon or in front of a cruising fish he gonna get at i mean that's the difference the father just for some reason had trouble feeding the fish the son no sweat with with guiding are there any particular stories from the past six years or moments that were really like wow that was my favorite moment of guiding for you uh, Jimmy's probably got a bunch because he's been after it longer than me. I'm a, going the most frustrating thing. I'm going to switch that a little bit, and it's and I, I think Jimmy will back this up. Is people telling you that they can fly fish, and they come here, they spend the money to get a guide, and they can't throw thirty feet. It does a, it's a it's frustrating from a guide's uh, guide standpoint because you know the fish are there, you know they're going to eat, and yet somebody cannot make a cast. The, the angler, from a guide's perspective, owes it as much to himself. I mean, to be able to to make a decent cast. As he does to the guide, the guide's on the back of the boat pulling and working his rear end off to put you on a fish, and yet you can't make a cast. So before you come tarpon fishing, you really need to pick up a tarpon rod, Especially and you need fishing. to practice. And you need to get where you can throw at least 50 feet, preferably more, and relatively accurate. But, you know, just to come here, if you want to come here, and spend your money, but you ought to, you owe it to yourself, and you really owe it to the guide, to, you know, to be as good as you can be with a fly rod. What do you tell somebody? Like, let's say I call you, and go, hey, I I want to come down. I want to tarpon fish. I'm not very good on the fly. You know, I book you for a, I got a year. Like, what would you tell me is the best way to actually try to set it up and get better at casting? How would you coach someone? Well, first of all, you need to throw a tarpon rod, 11 or 12. You can throw a 10 weight, and that helps you, you know, if you don't have access to an 11 or 12. But you really, because there's, there's a lot of difference between a 12 and a 10 or a 9 or something like that. You know, a lot of times now I just fish an 11. It's easier for a lot of people to cast. But you need to practice with that. And I don't mean necessarily, it doesn't have to be in a yard, but there needs to be something on the end of the, the fly line, not just a bare fly line. You cut the bend off of a hook and get out there, you know, cut the bend off of a four-inch Pugliese uh, bait fish pattern and, and start throwing it. No, not one that you tied because you probably no, put eight no, hours no, 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 into no, no. it. Bring that one when you come fishing. Cut one off of one you buy at the store. <laughs> Well, the key also is where he's saying practice, and uh, I can tell you, in years ago, a friend of mine bought his daughter a tarpon trip for her birthday, and the gift certificate, I, we, I had my wife make it up on the computer and everything, and it, it was practice, 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 
And when, when you get tired of practice, practice some more. And it's not practicing to see how far you can throw it. It's practicing to see, practicing to see how accurate you are at different distances. Um, I'm like Jim. You know, you should be able to throw it at least 50 feet. Most tarpon are going to be hooked between 30 and 50 feet. But if you got to throw it 60 to get the fly in the water, to get them to start tracking it, you know, accuracy is very important. Uh, Chip brought up a good point a minute ago when I stepped out. Um, you were talking about the leaders, the flies, and all that. You know, all of this has to come together to be successful. Um, and that includes the practice. Um, you know, nobody feels worse about a bad shot than the guy that made the bad shot. But but that's self-inflicted a lot of times. That's self-inflicted. And, you know, the guy on the back, he's, he's worked hard for you. And uh, he knows that you feel bad about it. So he's, you know, a good one's going to say, all right, let's go, let's go find another one. Let's go try it again. And he'll try to help you learn. But um, it's, it's, it's really important that people practice. I mean, golfers practice. Archers practice. You know, quail hunters practice. They go shoot skeet. I mean, it's not anything new. So just practice, practice. I told a guy one time, get a hula hoop, walk around the yard for, at different angles with the wind in your yard, wherever, and just don't step it off. Just lay that fly in that hula hoop. And, and it helped him. When you think about what makes a good guide, what, what kind of things come to mind for you? What makes a good guide? Well, we were just talking practice, 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 patience, patience, patience. And personally a soft mellow disposition you know there's a lot of guides that get really bent out of shape when people make a bad cast but like i said earlier it's really on them self-inflicted so you know just all just being easy mellow you know is you know work your butt off pull your butt off but you know if something doesn't go right just like Jimmy said earlier, we'll go find another one. You know, don't get upset at the angler and yell and scream at him. That doesn't do anything. It yeah. doesn't do anybody any good. Right. So, you know, and, and unfortunately, in younger in my career, I was very high strung. <laughs> and, uh, no, you? Yeah. But I have learned over the years, and that was part of when I told you about how much I'd learned from Nat over the phone was a lot of just – you know, how to deal with different personalities on the boat. If you've got an A-type personality and a real aggressive person, sometimes you can get, hey, listen, you need to listen to me. You know, when all else fails, try following instructions. And, or, and then there's other people that you may have to, I'm not going to say coddle, but you just got to deliver it a little bit differently. But most, most tarpon fishermen are going to say, hey, if I mess up, let me know, you know, and I just tell people, look, we all get caught in the, up in the moment. When I quit getting excited, I'm going to get off the platform. I still, my knees still shake. When, I, when I'm on the front end and I got one tracking, I still get nervous as heck. And if you, when you lose that, you quit because it doesn't mean anything anymore. So That's true. I heard somebody say with leading people, they were talking about leadership. It's kind of like you got two sides to your hand. You got a soft side, and sometimes you need to – know when to use that and ha and be patient and and then you got a hard side of your hand <laughs> and you got to know when to let somebody because i'm sure there's times where you're on the boat and somebody absolutely just flubs a shot yeah and then they look back at you like it was like you didn't get them right and you know because jimmy said they, they know when they make a bad cast but sometimes there's some it's, people it's, who, some, it's sometimes who it's don't. hard to convince them that <laughs> you had them where they needed to be they just didn't do it they're you know? uh they're the type of people that go on the american idol show and nobody ever told them they couldn't sing you yeah, know and, nobody yeah. ever told them they couldn't cast yeah. very well so it's you the might person that's always going to blame you yeah, it's never their fault. It's never, it's never their, their fault. fault. But, you know, hey, that's part of guiding. You're going to get every different what you kind. So, yep. is, you know. Is there, a, is there a particular type of person that you like to guide the most? I mean, it's Yeah, like one that can cast. One that can cast. <laughs> I mean, do you take a lot of young kids out? or? I've got a, I've got a few. My cousin uh, come, comes up 
you know, fishes with me two or three times a year. And uh, he's a he's a guy I was telling you that can can feed a fish. He's really just mellow, easy going. You know, just but he gets intense. I mean, if he screws up a fish, you know, and he'll he'll he won't ever point the finger at at me. He'll go he'll he'll cuss himself under his breath and he'll get right back at it. So, you know, I'm I love seeing the younger guys coming up in the fly fishing world better that than chunking bait for tarpon um you know and and there's guys like you know uh, stump jonathan hamilton who's who jimmy and i know real well it's a real young guy he got into it what four years ago five years ago when we took him fishing and uh and he's now a very busy fly tarpon guide you know, and just seeing that and knowing that there's younger guys that are are going to carry on it from a guide perspective, uh, as a guide, I should say, and then the younger people, and because of his uh, internet, uh, you know, he's very savvy in, in, with the, you know, media, and uh, so he's getting a lot of, you know, younger people that are coming in wanting to fly fish. So, you know, I think that's very important. So we're sitting here in the, the poon bar, very apparent you're passionate about tarpon. Is there a fish anywhere in this world that you haven't caught yet that you would really like to catch on the fly rod? I haven't decided if I want to catch a sailfish or a marlin or anything like that on a fly. Billfish? Yeah. Yeah, that's... I mean, I've caught permit and bonefish on fly. Uh, my buddy and I caught four or five uh, bonefish this past year. We're down there for one week, and which I think is pretty good. We can go down there and figure those fish out. We got one week and catch them, you know. So, but, you know, I would one day like to catch a keeper grouper on a fly, but, you know, that's pretty much impossible you can hook them out here all day long but getting them out of the shallow the fight yeah yeah i mean you just can't strip you just need to let jimmy tie your knots (laughs) (laughs) well and i it's not that it's just you can't once he eats it you can't strip because you're only in eight ten feet of water and you throw it out over a rock he's good you know you're at this angle and you can't reel it's hard to keep him out of the rocks with a plug rod sometimes but when you hook one on a fly you can't you know you just can't strip fast enough you can strip he'll get in a rock and you can try holding on to him and maybe he'll come out i had a a lady angler with me three years ago and caught one that was a, a keeper and it took her about 15 minutes and about 14 of those was waiting for the fish to swim out from under a rock. She'd just keep the rod tight. And when he came, when he moved out, she'd pull on him and he'd go right back in again. So, well, you if know. you start figuring that out, you might have a whole nother thing going on <laughs> down here, man. If you're trying to get grouper on the fly, well, you, you can you catch them. To my buddy, Jim, I've caught 34 <laughs> or 40 fish on a, on a fly early. Most of them are six inches to a foot long, <laughs> but you know, but anyway, but no, I, I mean, to me, there's, I mean, the tarpon's the fish, if you ask me, you know, it's, you know, you can go offshore. I've caught a bunch of mahi on, on flies and, and they're fun. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing like seeing a big old submarine coming straight at you and you make a good cast and watch that maul open up and suck that little old bitty fly in and game on. You know, they jump, they run, and they're pretty, so. Well, and you talked about loving to see the next generation of guys who are, are valuing fly fishing. And obviously there's been a big, you know, wave of interest in fly fishing. Like you guys. Yeah, that are interested in what, I mean, you've been guiding for six years, but you've been fishing since you were five. And you've been fly fishing since you said 1977. I mean, what, what is it that you're hoping to see and pass down to the next generation? They'll take the same passion for it that I do because if they'll take the passion for it, they'll do what's necessary to help preserve the fishery. And that's pretty much plain and simple. Without them, there won't be anything to preserve the fishery. And it doesn't necessarily mean fly fishing, but it seems like fly fishermen are more passionate about uh, 
the species that they like to pursue, like tarpon, than other people. And now that's not you know always true, but I think there 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 is a certain passion there that they don't want to see go away for conservation. Yes, whatever to do. You know, you see the bonefish and tarpon trust thing over there. Well, that's a a lot of the people involved in that are fly fishermen, and uh, you know so. Yeah, that seems to be a genuine concern across the board, and, and people are talking more about the health of the water and the health of the fishery and the yeah. populations. And there seems to be, even with technology increasing, just for instance, this. We're able to sit down and do a podcast, yeah. and you're, you're able to sit down with us but allow others to hear, and people are able to share information and stats and data and yeah. all that. Right. And, and, so, and that's a lot of the younger people able to pass it along is there anything yeah. that you're concerned about with the next generation yeah, just instant gratification you know some of them aren't willing to put the time in you know it's uh but that happens with some old folks that come down here wanting to tarpon fish on a fly and can't throw well yeah but i'm talking about you know you see technology and we talked about that in a previous podcast about the technology the gps's the social media and all of that um, I would be interested in seeing how many young people today would be willing to leave their camera, their cell phone, and that at home and just go fishing and not take a picture and put it on social media. There's, not, not those maybe. are the ones that you will see truly love the sport yeah. because it's not about look at me, look at me. It's about their one-on-one -on -one relationship with the resource. And uh, I'm guilty of not taking enough pictures for my marketing um, where I know some guys that they, they wear out the camera in marketing. But um, the, the young people today, there's, there's quite a good group of young guys that fish here right now that are very self-conscious of our area. Um, some through observing others and some that have literally hey we need to talk you need to just slow down a little bit and it's not me saying it necessarily as much as one of their friends saying hey just slow down enjoy what we got here um that's 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 real important and jim has seen the days more so than i did of acres and acres mm -hmm. of fish um we have a good fishery but we don't want it destroyed because we did go through a, a spell in the late 90s yeah. where it was tough. I mean, you might have two schools of 15, 20 fish and 20 boats trying to work them. But it's, it's a lot better now than then. But we want to see it continually yeah. get better and better. And it has. The last five years, it's progressively gotten better and better and better, you know, but... It's got a long way to go to get back to the way it was, but I think that was a Wednesday. But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, it's know. encouraging to hear it's getting better. And oh, we'll put all the you know, GPS coordinates in the show notes yeah. where you like to people, go. People ask me, well, how was tarpon season? And I this goes to what I said earlier. Well, if I had somebody that could cast, we caught fish. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's as simple as that. How many days did you and I fish together this year? I know we fished a couple, three, I know. Yeah, at least three. And I don't think there was a day that we didn't catch at least two. He caught one, I caught one. And we had, what, Look, seven on one day? Yeah. We, our best day. And uh, But that's because we can cast and feed fish. And, again, I go back to the learning how to, ca how to cast. Because if you, can, if you can get the fly to fish, and the further away from the boat, the better, your chances just start going up exponentially. And that kind of ties into what you talked about with the patience to practice and the mm -hmm. patience to get out there and learn and take your time and be intentional. And when we were with uh, Jimmy and we were doing the podcast, the word that kind of stuck out to me was respect and what it looks like for guides to have respect for one another yeah, and to have respect for everybody who's fishing. But kind of hanging out with you, I think a word that sticks out to me is patience, you know, and what it looks like to have patience with tying the fly and patience with practice casting and sitting down and, and learning. Patience with, patience with your angler. And patience with your angler you know, as a guide. Yeah. You know, and 
and that's critical. But, you know, respect is – and everybody's going to screw up. I've screwed up before, you know, and, you know, you got too close to somebody or, or what have you. And, you know, but most of the guys around here, uh, even the ones – you know, there's really the, the bunch that fishes out of homeless and there's a bunch that fish out of Pine Island. But everybody's everybody's pretty well connected with each other, and nobody has a problem – going you know calling one of the bayport guys and and going hey steve there's you know there's about a hundred fish moving just inside of you uh if you want to get you know so everybody talks to each other and you know you try not to get too close but a lot of times you know jimmy and i if we're near each other and he's on a big school he'll call me and say hey you need to get over here and and, and we'll work the vice same versa school he's done fish. that for me too and and so you know i mean but, you know, I won't cut him off. He won't cut me. We'll just try to work together on a, on a school of fish or whatever. And it works out sometimes, and it doesn't. And sometimes he'll be working fish for a while, and I'll poke in there and hook one up and peel off and go on my way, and, <laughs> and he'll be going. <laughs> well, you guys got the walkie-talkie system here, too, so yeah. y'all can really communicate, but. Well, hey, thanks so much for having us uh, be able to come in oh. and sit down with you. And, and if people want to follow you and kind of keep up with you, what's the best way for them to do that? I've got a Facebook page, Captain Jim Ferrier. You can look it up. That's, that's the only media I'm on. Well, you so. need to start putting some of the I know. On Everybody keeps – my wife keeps telling me that. Everybody keeps telling me that. So – uh, speaking of the wife, she's looking over my shoulder. Yeah. She just came in. But thanks for having us on and, and spending time with us. And we appreciate it. My pleasure. Appreciate Absolutely. It. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Captain's Collective. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please feel free to continue to share it with your friends and give us some feedback. If you have any ideas about some captains or guests that we should have on the show. Hope you guys enjoyed. Till next time, this is the Captain's Collective. to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv don't miss mondays with into the blue brought to you by academy sports and outdoors every monday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment